Hi everyone, my name is Shelby Powers and this is my podcast, The Dope Beat, where I discuss both current events and the current thoughts I have about things I've experienced and learned in my life. This is season one, episode two. I'll be delving into my interest in true crime and criminal justice and cover a murder case that happened a little too close to home. To start, my interest in true crime began at a fairly young age. I've always loved watching fiction, true crime shows, such as Criminal Minds, but as I got older I began to watch true crime shows and documentaries such as The First 48. That's a really good one, some of their episodes are filmed in Dallas, so you should definitely check it out. I started reading true crime novels in high school and now listen to true crime podcasts multiple times a week. My favorite is Case File True Crime. When I graduated high school and began to attend college, I was pretty unsure of the career path I wanted to take. I'm a communications major now, and that's what I'll be sticking with until graduation, but there was a period of time when I wanted to major in criminal justice. I'm very passionate about our criminal justice system and wanted to work to reduce recidivism and drug use among among inmates. I've known people who have gone to jail or prison, and I believe the system truly works against them. However, the main factor affecting my interests was the criminal justice professor I had my freshman year. His name is Michael Cotwell, and he works as the chief prosecutor in charge of child welfare cases in the 305th District Court in the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. (laughs) It's a lot to say. I very much enjoyed learning from him, and he provided me many resources that allowed me to discover what exactly I could get out of a career in criminal justice. Hearing about the experiences he had during his law career was always very interesting, and his lectures were never boring, at least in my opinion. Although it's not my career path at the moment, I still enjoy learning about true crime and the criminal justice system. A quick note, my uncle works for the Bureau of Prisons. And when I was taking this criminal justice course, I was actually able to interview him and talk to him about what exactly it is he does, and I found it very interesting. He left the the Air Force and immediately started working for the Bureau of Prisons doing security clearance, so that was definitely a great learning experience. With that... I'm going to discuss the Darley Rudier case that occurred in a neighboring town from my childhood home. But first, I have to mention our sponsor for this episode, Crown Publishing Group. My favorite book of all time is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. It's a riveting historical fiction novel that is based on a true story. It covers the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition that took place in Chicago as well as telling the story of H.H. Holmes, a serial killer who murdered his victims in an infamous hotel located only three miles away from the exposition. Crown Publishing is the amazing group that published Larson's novel, and I want to sincerely thank them for sponsoring this episode. Definitely check out The Devil in the White City if you haven't already. It's available wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the, to the Dope Beat. This is season one, episode two. To begin, this case involves violence against children and may not be suitable for all listeners. I mean no disrespect to anyone involved and I'm only discussing information I found online. 
Darley Rudier was born Darley Lynn Peck on January 4, 1970, and was from Rowlett, Texas. Rudier placed a 911 call at 2.31 a.m. on June 6, 1996, and told dispatch that a man had broken into her home at 5801 Eagle Drive, stabbed her children, and then slashed her throat. Her children were two boys, six-year-old Devin and five-year-old Damon. Police entered the home within minutes and found that one of the Routier's garage window screens had been cut as if someone had entered the home, but the intruder was no longer in the residence. Routier's son's injuries were fatal. However, her wounds were described as superficial and she was released from the hospital after two days. The Rudiers had another son, Drake, who was asleep upstairs with her husband, Darren, at the time of the murders. They were both unharmed. Rudier was arrested and charged with capital murder almost two weeks after the incident. After her arrest, the prosecution working the case found that Darley murdered her sons because of financial problems within the family. They suggested that she was a very materialistic woman who was falling into debt and was afraid of losing her pampered lifestyle. Additionally, a crime scene consultant named James Cron testified that the crime scene had been staged and that an intruder did not enter the home. Rudé's lawyer was Douglas Mulder. Her attorneys insisted that there was no motive, no confession, and no witnesses for the case. Rudier testified on the witness stand against the advice of her attorneys, and she had a difficult time under the pressure of cross-examination by prosecutor Toby Shook. I've included a link to some of the courtroom footage in the show notes. In the week after the murders, a video circulated across news stations of Darley and her family celebrating what would have been Devin's seventh birthday at his gravesite. She was shown singing happy birthday, smiling, and spraying silly string on the graves. The video was shown to jurors, but however, Rudier's family claimed that they had a solemn ceremony beforehand that was not shown in the media. A medical examiner named Vincent DeMaio testified that the wounds on Rudier's neck could not have been self-inflicted as it came within two millimeters of her carotid artery and he had never seen anything like that in the past. However, Rudier's doctors at the time told police that her wounds could have actually been self-inflicted. Lastly, Tom Bevel testified that the blood on Rudier's clothes was consistent with the motion of bringing a knife over her head multiple times in order to complete stabbing motions. On February 4, 1997, Rudier was convicted of the murder of her son, Damon and was sentenced to death by lethal injection. She is currently imprisoned at the Mountain View Unit Prison located in Gatesville, Texas. Since the end of the trial, an appellate court dismissed claims by Rudier's defense attorneys that many errors were made before and during the trial. In both 2008 and 2015, judges granted Rudier the right to have new DNA tests completed. However, Nothing significant has come from these motions. In June 2011, Rudé's husband, Darren, filed for divorce. He still maintained his wife's innocence and claimed that the divorce was a mutual decision between the two. 
This case is one that heavily affected not only the area surrounding Rowlett, Texas, but the nation. It is truly impossible to understand how someone can harm children in this way, and I feel as though it made a lot of people think about those around them and if they are capable of what was believed that Rudier did to her children. My mom had just become a mother at the time of the murders and is only one year younger than Rudier herself. In my next segment, I'll be discussing how my mom felt at the time, seeing the case unfold, and her opinion of what happened. As just a reminder, you are listening to The Dope Beat. This is Season 1, Episode 2. I was born February 24th, 1996, only four more months before the tragic murders of Devin and Damon. I was my mom's first child and we were living in Garland, Texas, the next town over from Rowlett, Texas, where the crimes occurred. I asked my mom what she remembered about the case and how it made her feel while it was being covered in the media. She seemed quite solemn about it, stating that she felt very sad because the children were so young. She also said that she remembered thinking that Rudy acted very strange and that she didn't seem like a typical grieving parent. I'm assuming this is based on what she saw in the news. It must be an important detail to her if she remembers it from 22 years ago. My mom also said that she remembered they were having money problems, which is a correct statement, and that she thought Rudy's husband had something to do with the murders, even though he has never been named a suspect. I was also able to have a short conversation with my grandmother about what she remembered from the case. She started off the conversation by stating that the Rudiers lived in a lav- lived a lavish lifestyle, but they were in debt. One small detail she remembers is that they lived in a two-story home. She also mentioned that Darley looks a lot different now compared to how she looked back then. Her car, her hair was very bleach blonde, while it looks almost black in the most recent photos of Rudier. Lastly, she stated, I can still see the picture of those two little boys. She said that it made her feel very sad just thinking of that picture, but she can, she can picture it very clearly in her mind, even 22 years later. Towards the end of the conversation, my grandmother said that she was dealing with four-month-old me, who apparently never slept, so she honestly wasn't paying as much attention to the case. In my last segment, I'm going to discuss my opinion of the case and what I would like to see happen in the future. You're listening to The Dope Beat. This is Season 1, Episode 2. I personally believe that all, all of the evidence points to Rudy A. being the individual who murdered her children. I don't think it would have been possible for an intruder to carry out the crimes and leave from the area completely undetected. Additionally, nothing was taken from the home, and Darley's injuries were drastically different from her children's. This isn't very common in multiple murder cases. Her wounds were considerably superficial, and I believe were self-inflicted. Lastly, in in reviewing courtroom footage and other available video sources, Rudier seemed irrationally angry, as if she was upset about being caught. This is just speculation on my end, so check out the show notes for a video link to form an opinion of your own.
Out of the many cases I've researched, researched over the past few years, this is one that I always find myself coming back to. The Rudiers lived very close to my childhood home, and I grew up with many friends who lived in Rowlett, Texas. Although it occurred 22 years ago, my family remembers it vividly. I also find that there is a definitive lack of closure in the case, as Darley has never confessed, her husband never confessed, there has never been a stranger who confessed, it's kind of just been placed on Darley, and without a confession, I feel as though there's there's a lot lacking. In conclusion, true crime is still a large part of my life. Although I've been a busy college student the past few years, completing research on different cases is something that I, I still find myself doing. Especially recently with the Jamie Kloss case, a young girl who has been missing for a month after a home intruder shot and killed her parents. I've been checking news sources nearly every day in the hopes that Jamie is found. I feel as though this must have been how my mom felt watching the Darley Rudier case play out. It's such a tragedy when people's lives are senselessly taken from them, and I wish for justice in the cases I research. Once again, I'm Shelby Powers, and this has been Season 1, Episode 2 of The Dope Beat, my podcast in which I discuss both current events and the current thoughts I have about things I've experienced and learned in my life. I want to sincerely thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.